Our text is 2 Peter chapter 1. It's 2 Peter chapter 1 in verses 5 through 7. Uh, I actually started on this last week and uh, just when I got up that morning, it just seemed like the Lord gave me some stuff that I wanted to share with you. So I'm actually getting started on what I was going to do last week and, and never got there. But um, when you get this age, you take trips. You don't know how you got there, but you enjoyed the trip, you know. All right, uh, in, here in Second Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 5. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you, and abound, and it's important that it abounds, by the way, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now shall we pray. Father, help us to rightly divide your word. Father, I wouldn't want to mislead anyone. So Father, please make this clear, understandable for everyone in this auditorium today and listening by internet or radio. Uh, and Lord, I pray that if there's one without Jesus Christ, they'll come to know him as their Lord and Savior. Edify the saints, but especially, especially glorify your name through this service this morning. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. We looked at verses 1 through 4 in our last week, because in the last few weeks we've looked at verses 1 through 4. And there we're seeing the things that the Lord did for us. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I can't work for my salvation, I can't work to keep it, and my work can't add anything to it. Okay, so... We look in these first four verses of what Christ did for us. As a matter of fact, we looked at the idea of Isaiah chapter 52, verse 10 and 53, verse 1, about he bare his arm, he rolled up the sleeve. And we told you how in, in Psalms 33, 6, that he had said that uh, he spoke the worlds into existence. By the words of his mouth, Hebrews uh, chapter 1 and verse 3 says he upholds all things by the word, by the word of his power. So he does that. But when he was on the cross, the humanity of Jesus Christ, who was sinless, without error, without sin, the Holy Son of God, rolled up the sleeves, so to speak. The idea of the rolling up the sleeves, the bearing the arm, was that somebody is going to do a heavy work, do a heavy load, a heavy shoveling, a heavily whatever. It was hard hard work. The hardest work our Lord ever did was not the creation of the worlds. Even though in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God and the same was in the beginning with God and all things were made by Him. Just think about that. All things were made by Him and without Him was not anything made that was made. And we're told He just spoke it into existence. We're told He upholds it all just by His Word. But here... He rolled up his sleeve and did all the work necessary to save our soul. That is tremendous and, and a great blessing that he would roll up his sleeve out of his love for us. 
directed by the Holy Ghost, we're to do something. For example, to get saved, we're to believe what Christ did for us on the cross. We're to believe that he was died, was buried, uh, and rose up bodily from the grave three days later. We're to believe that he was God come in the flesh. He existed in all eternity past as God. God is the Spirit. He didn't take on flesh till 2,000 years ago. He became a human in order to pay the penalty for our sins. As a matter of fact, Romans chapter 8 says that we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Do you know what that means? Sometimes we miss it. You know, yeah, I get to be a joint heir of Christ. I'm saved. I'm a joint. But one thing we miss is this. Jesus Christ not only took on a human body 2,000 years ago. In talking of heirship, he will remain in that glorified body throughout all eternity. So that you and I are ruling and reigning with him. Because he's going to give us a glorified body as well. So, what a, what a thing to think of, of what he did for us. But ours was to receive it by repentance and faith. Not work for it. Not do penance. Repent. Okay? And uh, I've used this illustration before, but let me use it again. Uh, let's, just, let's just pretend. Okay? We're going to pretend. So I can embarrass somebody. Um, we're going to pretend that Kevin and Naomi are getting married. Okay, now, to do that, they both have to repent. Okay. For over the past years, Kevin has to repent of the two girlfriends that he had. And, and Naomi of the 25 boyfriends that she had, okay. And so, they repent, they turn to one another, and their commitment is to one another. Okay, they're not joining a club Marriage is for life. Okay, it's a commitment. And when you get saved, the Bible in Ephesians chapter 5 looks at your salvation as that strong of a commitment. Think of that. Too often we have people repeating words like they're magic words, hocus pocus. You know, say these words, you're going to heaven, and there's no repentance in their heart. They're still going to walk with the world. They're still going to uh, live in sin. They're still going to do the things they've always done before. No, you're turning to Jesus Christ. His blood cleanses. His blood, his work does the work, but you still need to repent and believe the gospel. Okay? And that's our part. But there are things that he gives us in our Christian life that we are to add. The nice thing is, is that he provides for it. He provides so that it can be added to our life. But we do have a personal responsibility. Just like we had a personal responsibility to believe the gospel and and receive it, we also have a personal responsibility to add these things to our Christian life. And that word there, where he says in verse 5, add to your faith. That word add is an interesting word. Uh, it was, uh, in that day, the word add, as it was usually originally used, it was in the Athenian uh, festivals, their dramas. And what, what it was speaking about, add, it was talking about how to finance or support a chorus. So they'd, for these dramas, they'd get this chorus together, and the, have them in that full-time capacity, they had to try to finance 
and prepare everything for them to be it. And that's what they use the Greek word there that is translated add for us today. The word also was applied when the state, the government, would appoint somebody to get the funds to fund a course because the government was interested in it. And so when somebody usually got that uh, responsibility, they would do all their part, all they could, to make that as extravagant as possible. Because they really wanted it to be first class all the way. So they went all out on that to uh, support a chorus and really not only to support it, but to uh, keep it on going. That was part of it. So that's what they would do. And the Greek word was add, add. Give it your best. Fully take care of this. Add to your faith virtue. Now, I find it interesting as well that uh, in early Christian literature, when you look about the financial support, it uses this same word of add. You'll look in verse uh, 11 there, and he says, ministered, he ministered unto us something there, uh, an entrance abundantly, an everlasting kingdom of our Lord. We, we were in the entrance, was ministered unto us for the kingdom of the Lord. In other words, this chorus, Jesus added to it. He rolled up the sleeves on the cross so that he could add this entrance into this great heaven. Boy, he made it as extravagant. The Greeks never knew anything this extravagant. The city of gold, sending out of heaven from God, he went there to prepare a place for us. And he is coming again. And it's fully paid for because Jesus paid it all. But he allows us to lay up treasures in heaven. That's why we find out that we'll count the cost when we get up there. We'll count the lost. What we could have had, had we remained faithful, and you end up being saved so as by fire because you did not do those things. And so it tells us that we'll count the cost. Many times, those appointed to finance this course would uh, use all their power to raise this money. I mean, they had to... Uh, hit people they knew. They had to get the people. What, and if it meant, in the case of a government thing, uh, <clears throat> you're talking of taxes. Okay. You give or we take. Well, Jesus gave his all. Now, let's add to this faith that he has purchased for us. And we have seven things here, seven qualities that he wants added and they're not to be separated from one another. It's like a cake re recipe. You don't leave out a couple of ingredients and get the same cake. It just won't be palatable. You leave these things out of your Christian life, you won't be palatable to the Lord. So these things need to be added to our lives, and the Lord gives us personal responsibility. We don't want to be spewed out of his mouth. Now, spewing out of his mouth doesn't mean you've lost your salvation. 
Let's just turn over for a quick minute here to Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. This is the church of Laodicea. We sometimes refer to it as the church of the last days, uh, but it's a church of the church age, one of the sins of the church age. And in chapter uh, 3, verse 15, he says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I were thou were cold or hot, so then because thou art uh, lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Now, the Lord said, I would want you to be either hot or cold. Now, when I grew up, I heard preachers all the time saying this. As a matter of fact, I said this when I first started preaching because that's what I always heard. Until I actually studied it. I said, yeah, the Lord wants you to be Hot, on fire for evangelism. Or just a cold Christian over here that does nothing. But he doesn't want you to be halfway in between. Boy, it sounded, it sounded yeah, man, no, yeah. But then, why would the Lord say, I, I would rather you be either cold or hot? I mean, why would he say both? He would want you to be one of those two things. He really wants you to be both. Well, as I got to studying that, I found out that Laodicea laid in a place where there were hot springs, and you went to another place there were cold springs. The hot springs were for the healing of the body, and many of you know that. You know, you've got jacuzzis, okay? And, and so you sit in that jacuzzi, and boy, it feels good, those sore muscles and everything else that you have. You sit in the jacuzzi, and, and the, the hot springs, they're hot healing springs for those things. But also there, they had cool springs. It'd be like going out to Silver Springs and setting in the cool water. Okay, and so uh, those springing up waters would just cool and refresh. Whereas one is for healing, one is for refreshing. And you see, that's what we have as Christians. That's each of our responsibilities. We bring the healing water of life of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world to heal the sin-sick soul. We've got that responsibility to carry the gospel to them. But then we're also to be the cold waters of refreshing for fellow saints that edifies them and builds them up in the faith. We all have that responsibility. But it doesn't want us to be lukewarm. And what are you talking about lukewarm? Let me put it this way. The reason the world is not seeing Jesus is that Christian people simply are not filled with Jesus. They are satisfied with attending meetings weekly and leading, uh, or reading the Bible or, or occasionally reading the Bible, praying at times. I wonder if it really grieves the heart of our Lord to see people professing to be Christians, Christ-like, but they're lifeless. They're in a place where their lives are so parallel with the unbelieving world that it's difficult to tell which place they're in. You can't tell if they're walking in the flesh or in the spirit because, well, they do go to church and they do read the Bible some. No, the Lord made us to have a distinctive difference from the world. Ours is called light. The world is called darkness. And don't try to be dawn. Don't try to be sunset. 
That's God's call on us. And too often, the wrong thing happens and we get caught up in this world. Faith, without these seven things, is not biblical faith. Uh, giving your all, your diligence, to add to your saving faith, virtue. Now, when you're giving diligence to do something, you're trying to get it right. You're trying to get, a, get it right. I, I saw a man outside one time painting his car with one of those little spray paint cans, you know. Not, not a sprayer. One of those cans that you buy in the store on the shelf. You just take it out there and spray it. He decided he's going to paint his car that way. And it looked like he did. And um, uh, that's not what we want. We want it to look good. We want it to look good. If you're going to be in archery, and I've never shot archery, so I'm not an expert at this, but uh, you don't give a guy a bag of arrows there and a bow, and he goes out there and hits a bullseye every time. No, he's got to work on that. He's got to practice to hit it. He's got to really work on it till he can start even hitting the target, let alone the bullseye. And our Christian life is a life of growth in virtue. It's a daily practice of our lives. The word virtue is defined as moral excellence, courage, with the idea of absolute courage, absolute courage and endurance. It makes me think of the apostles. Do you find it interesting as I do that the apostles were asking others when they'd pray for them to pray that they would have boldness? I find that interesting because, you know, they, they knew what it was to get thrown in jail, to get beaten with whips. They, they knew those things. I, I think that would shake most of us, if not all of us, our boldness. They knew what that was. So they said, pray for boldness because there's a, sometimes that, there's that enemy that wants to not go through that. I don't think anybody wanted to go through it. But if they don't go through it, they don't get to preach the word. So it was a matter of, do I preach the word or do I not preach the word? I've got to go through it if that's the case. And it had boldness. This word for virtue was used by the Greeks when it uh, fulfilled a designated purpose. They got it done. They, 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 they were doing their best. And, and so... When it was fulfilled, the designated purpose, then they were happy. It's just like being saved. We have a purpose as well. Romans 8, 28 and 29. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, for those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, folks, predestination is not talking about getting saved. Romans is written to some people that are already saved. Saved people have a purpose, and that is to be conformed to the image of Christ. An unsaved person cannot be conformed to the image of Christ until he gets saved. He can be religious. He can be moral. He could even have some virtue, but he won't have the virtue of Christ. 
And that has to be in their life and has to grow. Our purpose then is conformity to the image of Christ. And that needs to be the resolve of every Christian. Christian means Christ-like. That's what we want to be is Christ-like. The faith in Christ that led to our saving faith ends at the next step of ongoing faith. You see, all of God's Word, all of His Word is important. So it is through His Word we learn the virtue of moral excellence. And then courageously and boldly stand in our love for Christ, not reverting to the flesh, to fight the devil and the world. You know, I believe 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, where he talks about homosexuals and thieves and drunkards and a whole mess of other sins. And he says, such were some of you. Romans 5, 20, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Those people can be saved. Some get saved right away. Some it may take 20 or 30 years, but they can get saved. Never give up on them. But you don't bring them into the church and say, okay, we're going to have a class for them. We're going to make them ushers and deacons. No, that's not right. We love their souls, but we don't love their sin. And we do not put them in God's holy house as an example to the world. There is a difference between light and darkness. You and I, John chapter 8 and verse 12, are to walk in the light. If you follow him, you'll walk in light and you will not walk in darkness. That is the word of God. That is his truth. So believe his truth. You say, well, you know, if I do that, I'll lose my child, or I'll lose my brother, or my sister, or somebody else. I'll just lose them. They, if, if I stand against that sin, or if I say anything about it, uh, they'll never come back around again. So you're just going to let them go to hell? You say you love them? Well, I'm going to just try to live an example for them. Well, if it was your son or daughter, you had him all those years, the example didn't do anything, did it? They have to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And when they don't receive the gospel, don't give up. You keep praying and praying and praying until they do. Don't give up. If they're still breathing, there's hope. Now, so we need to stand courageously to fight evil and the world. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, we find something there that's very interesting. He says, For though we uh, walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Every thought to the obedience of Christ. Our weaponry is not Satan's methods. We gotta, we gotta cuss, we gotta drink, we gotta have rock and roll and everything else, or they won't want our Jesus. But that's not our Jesus. Second Corinthians twelve says that's another Jesus. 
And it's not about whether they like us. It's about their soul's eternity. We need to have compassion. You know, if you fear to give out a track, invite someone to church each week, to Sunday school or church, you don't witness. You don't have anything in your public life or demeanor that makes people say, oh, boy, that's a sold-out, dedicated Christian. Then God help you. Because you're going to be saved if you're saved so as by fire. No crowns to lay at his feet. Our weaponry is the word of God. Our weaponry starts out here, faith, virtue. That needs to be a part of our weaponry in our Christian walk. You may have been saved by grace through faith, but if you've not added virtue, how thankful is that for what Christ did for us in verses 1 through 4? Look, I am accepted in Christ Jesus. When I get to heaven, it's not going to be my work, it's going to be his. He is the one that died on that cross. He is the one that had not just what man could do to his body. We don't ever see him complaining when man's doing something to his body. It's when the Father takes over the crucifixion the last three years and pours out his wrath on his human spirit. That he cries out, my God, my God. But that was the rolling up the sleeve so that he might save our soul. I remember back when I was in high school, you know, we live in a different day. I I know that. I mean, back in high school, we tried to beg our parents for money. Now you can just go and beg the kids for money. They got more than the parents do, you know. But I remember going to a football game. And, you know, I got there. I said, I wonder if I have enough cash. And I'm standing out there getting ready to take my billfold out of my pocket. To, to check to see if I have enough cash to go to the game. I mean, I got there. I should go in, you know. And this guy that's one of my classmates came up by me. He said, hey, Bloom, what you doing? I said, oh, I'm just waiting to go into the game. He said, you like going free? <laughs> yeah. You know, so I walked. I said, how can I do that? He says, well, my part-time job is I work for the Herald. So I write the press report for our ball games. And he says, we can go up and we get to set up in the press box. And I need an extra set of eyes. <laughs> My eyes, you know. Um, I need an extra set of eyes to help me up there. And so I say, okay, we go by the place where you walk in, where they charge you. He's, he puts, takes out his press credentials, says, we're press. He pointed at me and says, he's with me. I didn't have to show him anything, didn't have to pay him anything. We walked up to the press box. Boy, you could see a game better there than you could anywhere else. And not only that, but they would bring in a Coca-Cola or something like that. I mean, it was great. I didn't have to buy a snack, didn't have to do anything. Just went up there with him. And, and was supposedly helping him. Now, I was accepted in him. 
That's how I'm accepted in heaven. Not my works of righteousness. (laughs) They're as filthy rags. I'm accepted in Jesus Christ. Now, do you think I sat there by my friend that had taken me upstairs and sat there in the press box as he's watching and just said, you're an idiot. Why am I sitting here on the right? I'd rather sit on the left. I think there's a better view. And, and you know, I wouldn't do that thing in your, your little book there that you're writing down. I can hardly even read it. And you're giving praise to that guy. I don't like that guy. Don't give him any praise. It doesn't matter if he ran a 75-yard touchdown. Don't give him any praise. No, I didn't do that. But that wouldn't be very thankful if I did. Christ provided me a great salvation. How thankful is my life showing that? So great a salvation that he's given me. You may have been saved by grace through faith, but you've not added virtue. How thankful is that for what he's done for us? The question becomes, is there resolve in our heart to fulfill that verse 3, the call that we have there in verse 3, a call to virtue, a call to valor. In other words, to the glory and virtue that God wants you to have. We need to be men and women of virtue and valor. It's a bad thing that so many churches lack the moral excellence in the people that we are. The measure of a Christian is measured by what it takes to draw him or her from the pursuit of God. Who have you cared enough? For whom have you cared enough to at least invite them to church where they'd hear the gospel? To give them a track, a personal witness. I've heard people make up excuses over the years. All they do is preach the Bible there. Nobody's going to get saved anyway. Huh? Thy word is truth. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1 tells us that that word is the means for our salvation. It's pure seed. I've had people say, well, I don't like people coming there because I, like, I don't like the song leader. I don't like the mu- uh, music. I don't like the youth director. I don't like this person, that person. Do you think that will really hold before God? I don't think it will. Matter of fact, I know it won't because every one of us shall give an account of himself unto God, the Bible tells us. So we are at to add to our faith virtue. And the next thing we're to add is knowledge. And rather than go into that, I'll say that for another time because the knowledge of God. But let me just say this. I used this as an illustration just a few minutes ago of Brother Kevin and Naomi said if they got married. Now, do you think they're going to get married 
if they don't know anything about each other? Do you think they have conversations? They share their heart. And they talk about things that are important to them. They uh, get the Bible open and share the Bible with each other and, and, and just share their heart with one another. In other words, they get to know each other. It's not just sitting in church. You're supposed to be six inches. Uh, okay. Uh, now, they're just sitting in church. That's not how they get to know each other. It's great they're in church together. But he gets to know her so that if she calls him on the telephone, he says, hello. And she says, oh, hi, Kevin. He says, who is this? Don't do that, Kevin. Don't do that. Okay. And, and vice versa. What I'm saying is he knows her voice. If, if there's ten women in the place talking, he knows her voice out of all of them. <clears throat> if he can hear it. Um, he knows their voice out of all of them. But why? Because she's special to him. All right? And just talking about knowledge, the knowledge of God we get from his word, we study his word, we read his word, we, we, we meditate on his word. We obey his word. That's how we grow. Let's imagine that this, I hope they don't get mad at me up there for doing this. That's a wall. I'm walking here, and boom, there's the wall. Now, the easy thing is to remove the wall. But that wall is my sin. As a Christian, a sin in my life. But I don't want to move that wall. I want to stay there. If my goal is to get to there as a Christian, to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, I'm not going to get there until this is removed. Then I can go. You're not going to get to Jesus Christ as a Christian to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. If you don't remove those things from your life, and they won't be removed from your life, as long as you're not in the word of God, you're not faithful in his house, you're not obedient to him. Now, but if you get in there, you don't have to put out a fleece. Instead, you can pray and ask God to impress on your heart what he wants you to do. And he'll impress on your heart. And it can get to the point where the voice of God in your heart will be as familiar to you as the voice of your spouse. I, I love my wife. For 50 years, I've been able to fool her. Okay, make her think I'm a great guy. All right, now, I love her. When she speaks, I know it's her speaking. In all of her voices. But, uh, <laughs> but I want the voice of Jesus to be as familiar in my heart as her voice is to my ear. And sometimes the voice of Jesus has to rebuke me. But I want to know him that well. And when I'm not willing to add virtue to my life, 
be in his word, I won't know him that well. Now, will that make me popular with a lot of Christians and the world? No. Uh, If there are, sorry, Kevin. If there are 10 other girls that like Kevin, so I'm speaking of impossibilities. Um, (laughs) If there are 10 other girls that like Kevin, okay, they like him. They're not happy today that he's sitting with Naomi. Okay. They're not happy about that at all. If I've got sin in my life, what kind of communion can I have with God and how can I serve him effectively if I don't walk with him? Your virtue as a Christian is to learn to walk in thankfulness with God, obeying his commands and will. Have your sins confessed. Don't, don't go to bed with anything undone. Make things right. Set out and do his will. And do it like you were the one commissioned to finance a chorus. You be the one that's accomplishing the will that he has for your life, giving it your all. That's virtue. Not just enough to get done, to get by. Giving it your best. Now, what I've just said for Christians, I've said some good things, I've said some bad things for Christians. But you know what? I would a billion times rather be the worst Christian in the world. And be in the lowest spot of heaven, I would a billion times rather that than to be the best man in hell. And until you come to that point, you say, you know what, I'm a sinner. Christ died on the cross for my sins, but I'm going to live my life my way. You live your life your your way. You say, well, I don't see anything wrong. I'm a moral man. I'm a good person. You might be somebody that's been way out there evil, but whatever it is, every human walking on the face of this earth needs a Savior, and there's only one. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. But he also said, whosoever will, whosoever will. Let him come and take of the water of life freely. The salvation is there for you. Now, some people say, you know what? I know I need to be saved. They make excuses or devil can give you ready excuses. And there's too many people in this auditorium. The number of people in this auditorium won't scratch the surface of the number of people that will watch you get cast into the lake of fire. And you had a chance to get saved. How dumb would you feel to know that you had a chance to get saved? And you said, not now. You realize that when you say, well, not now, is to reject Jesus Christ. Because if you had to say, not now, Christ made you realize you need a Savior. And so, my friend, what I'm asking you to do, realizing that Jesus died on the cross for every sin you ever have or ever will commit, that he was buried, and three days later he rose from up, up from the dead, You'll call upon him and receive him as your Savior. He'll save you. In a moment, we're going to have a hymn of invitation. In that invitation, you can come and receive Christ as your Savior. We're not going to force you to come. You've got to come because you love God and you want a salvation. But if you come, if you'll meet me here at the front, I'll have people trained in the Word of God that will open that Bible and show you how you can be saved. You just need to come. Let's bow our heads, please.